Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, joining us on the podcast, we have Alvin Crawford. Alvin, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on the show. Alvin, tell us a bit about your current role and your company. So I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at Revolution Foods. Revolution Foods is a a B Corp actually founded by two moms who really felt like kids deserved healthy food uh, during school. And so uh, they launched uh, the the program platform about uh, 15 years ago. We started really just delivering food um, to kids for uh, their school meal programs uh, that was healthy and also culturally responsive. Uh, during the pandemic, we actually pivoted to not only serving kids, but also adults. And so we serve probably more than 2 million meals a week uh, to both adults and food insecure, uh, both food insecure adults as well as children throughout the country uh, and are continuing to add uh, new lines and new opportunities to serve healthy, um, culturally responsive meals across the country and hopefully at some point around the world. That's a mind-boggling number, 2 million meals a week. There's some significant yeah, have- logistics going on behind that number. Yeah, so it's not just food. We we definitely are, are, are a great product company. Uh, care a lot about the passion around the taste of the food uh, and the healthiness of the food. But we have also obviously built a pretty intensive supply chain uh, to support that, uh, as well as a DSD network to make sure that food gets out. I think we touch about sixty five percent of uh, families if you talk about kind of the roadways that we service. So it's pretty it's pretty impressive to take a look at for sure. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. That's amazing. Uh, thinking back over your, your career, what are the three things that have really contributed to your success? Uh, I would say persistence would be one um, that every person in not only a sales role, but probably any role needs to take. Um, I'll talk more about that, but also the other two would be uh, honesty and trusting your gut. And so if you think about those three, the persistence aspect is that um, every deal is winnable if you focus on what it takes to win and you're persistent around your pursuit. Uh, The honesty piece is more of something that I've dealt with more in management leadership. Um, Obviously, you're honest with everyone in terms of clients, but I think what I learned over time is that you help people by telling them sometimes what they don't want to hear um, to, in, to help them improve. Uh, some people won't take that well, but depending on your delivery of it, if you can focus on helping people to improve and grow, they'll be better off by it um, if they're wanting to grow uh, and improve on their, their sales team. There's some people who don't want that, and that's okay, but that would be um, the second thing. And trusting your gut is really about both on the customer side as well as on your team. On the customer side, when it's not the right deal, 
you need to recognize that and understand. It's great to be able to target who your customers are uh, and make those choices so that you are building relationships in the right places. The second thing would be um, that uh, on the employee side, when employees aren't uh, doing what they need to do and you've been clear about it, um, you need to trust your gut. And uh, where I found mistakes is when I didn't. And you always look back at it. So that's those are the three things that I think in the career are incredibly important uh, to success. My mom always used to tell me, trust your gut. Um, <laughs> you can't go wrong. Uh, so that's great. That's great advice. How'd you get your start in sales? You know, what's funny is, is that uh, my first sales gig was uh, working, uh, selling books door to door, straight commission uh, as an independent contractor. I, I was uh, in college and, and some buddies uh, all had brought $5,000 checks home from the summer. And I'd worked eight jobs the summer before and probably brought home about 500 bucks. And so I figured I was doing something wrong. So I, I took this gig with uh, Southwestern Company and uh, wow, it was amazing. I brought them 5,700 bucks the first year, I think uh, 12,000 the second year. And then even after college did a $17,000 check for 10 weeks of work. And so uh, that was my start and I kind of got hooked on it. Oh yeah, that with those kids, I remember like you're paying your your tuition, you're paying everything with that kind of money. That that's awesome. You're living large. It was pretty, it was pretty nice, actually. I was envious because there were some people who were bringing home thirty six thousand dollars. And you know the funny thing is is that we were seeing about the same number of people, but they were the people who were bringing home thirty six thousand during the summer were doing everything that. Uh, the the training tells you to do and I was probably doing about half of it so I didn't think there was a insurance agent Albert Gray that successful people do the things that unsuccessful people aren't willing to do and so if you think about that contextually it's really about forcing yourself to put the habits into practice is that the big lesson you took away from that first experience well, honestly, the persistence piece was it. They basically said one out of 10 people are buyers. You don't have to sell to everyone. You have to follow the path and lead people to close. And you have to really get objections out of the way. They, actually, what I learned most is that there is a process and that at each stage, there are important things to understand. And I, I live that today, which is understanding the sales process and understanding where you're falling out of it and what to do to fix those things. And so that stays with me today. And it, it also stays with me that, that you have to be in, intentional and persistent about how you approach this work. No, oh, I love that. I love that. What's your craziest sales story from your, you know, back when you're doing regular sales? Wow. When I was selling books, there are probably lots of different stories that are out there. But I will tell you that the one that that I won't forget is, is when I went off script and uh, the person that I was talking to, first of all, I asked if, if she made decisions or whether uh, her husband makes decisions or whether I should come back and 
And she said, no, let's do this all now. And so that came back to haunt me. But then she asked me if I wanted something to eat and like a pool. I, I got off schedule and said yes. And then, you know, I was there for three hours uh, and I really wanted to leave and I didn't. And what I call it is torquing on my head. And so it's one of those where when you don't own your situation, it owns you. And that ruined my day and maybe my week. And it's all my fault because I should have known better. The scripts tell you what to do and how to think about it. But, and the scripts are not forcing anything. It's just don't enter situations that um, you can't control the controllables. I didn't control any of them and it really had an impact. So I do take that one with me now, which is that like torquing on your head is is your own fault. It's just like when you don't prepare for a sales meeting, when you don't understand who the client is and what their expectations, all of those things are things that you can control and you must control them in order to succeed. So it is a, there are probably crazier stories that I could tell about door to door, but I would say that 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 one uh, sticks out in terms of knowing who your customer is and and how to to manage your situation. So I, I get, I'm just imagining that where you know she's coming. Would you like some more tea or you know some more? Uh, you want another sandwich or whatever? And and uh, inside your head you go no, you know, but you can't lose the deal. You got to be nice. <laughs> sure, you know. Yeah. Well, then it's the the investment. You've invested this much time. So like, don't mess it up now when you just should have made different and better decisions. Yeah. Do you share that story with your team? Have you shared it at all? You know, that one is so far back, but, but I do talk about the importance of being in control of of your situation. Uh, I mean, what it relates to now is, is it in that we sell food if people don't want healthy food, we probably shouldn't have a conversation because it's not really aligned. And at the end of the day, we're gonna be more expensive than unhealthy food. Uh, But a lot of people will go through that process of having deeper and deeper and deeper conversations without thinking about the basic. And the basic is, are we aligned customer uh, or prospect uh, and company? Because if we are, it's great. And if we aren't, it's okay. Uh, and I think that's the piece that I hold on to, but it's, it's a similar concept right. for sure. Tell me about your transition to sales leadership. Well, I will tell you that uh, even though I had that initial start in sales, I spent a lot of time on the marketing side. So I was in um, digital, digital marketing, helped do a lot of strategy for fortune 50 companies. And I went, uh, it transitioned in 2000 into an ed tech company where I, w- I led strategy for that company. Uh, I went out with the sales leader there. It was just an individual salesperson. And we were in front of about a hundred people and I wanted to crawl under the table. I was there for support. I wasn't there for a presentation role. And at that point, I asked the CEO if I could run sales. And I I just, the experience I had just said, well, I can do a better job uh, than this. And that company, we grew over seven years from really zero to about 23 million in revenue. And I led 
sales, I led, uh, I built a sales team of about eight folks. Uh, that first lesson was uh, that uh, there's a difference between one sale and no sales. And I kept the person who <laughs> had a sale um, of the eight and then learned a lot about the different cadence of how you sell um, at different stages of a company. And happy to talk a little bit about that, but but it is important um, what you do. You don't always just hire a team. Uh, you make sure that your marketing um, and your messaging are solid before you start building on a massive team because it's not their fault that they can't sell a product that you haven't been clear about in terms of the value proposition. Oh yeah, yeah. It couldn't agree more that that, um, you know, you're sending people out to sling mud against the wall. If you don't have a clearly defined value prop, forget it. I mean, they're just going to try right. whatever they can to see what sticks and who knows what they're doing. Right. And you need consistency out there and you need to learn. And so you can't learn if everyone's slinging mud. You can, you as an individual sales leader and the CEO or the founder can work together to fi figure out what sticks and then go with it, but then you can build the team as you start to get those um, those those marketing messages right, those uh, th those value and, and benefit statements right. You can start to to really grow a team and make it repeatable. Let's talk about building your team. What is your strategy for building the team that's really going to succeed and drive success? So it really depends on what stage of a company you're in. We're a big company. So, you know, we do obviously 2 million meals a week. We're doing hundreds of, of millions. So it's, 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 it's a company where I no longer look at people based on their potential. I look at people who have demonstrated uh, success. It doesn't mean that they have to have had demonstrated success in, in food. It means that they have to have, um, demonstrated persistence, demonstrated large deal, uh, um, and, and actually that they can show numbers of how they've grown in their career. They can talk about, they can reflect on what they've done right and things that they need to work on. Um, I need to see that. And, and when I'm interviewing, I'm also interviewing to understand whether they're closing me on, um, on working here. If they're asking the right questions, like if they're not asking questions, that's an issue for me. If they're asking the right closing questions, it helps me understand that they understand how this works. Uh, and that the, there is this, you know, we're both selling each other, but at the end of the day, um, I'm looking for people who know how to close. Right. Is there any special way you like to structure your teams? You know, in terms of like some people like to have, like, I want to you know, I want the hunters, you know, I want to have so many people of this, and then I want to have X number of closers. Do you, you, uh, do you adopt that strategy or do you have a different style? Well, so I've always had door openers, folks who know market spaces and uh, are not afraid uh, to use their contact base to go. You also need folks that are going to territorially uh, hunt. Uh, you know, we have about eight culinary centers, so we're always making sure that um, we have uh, an individual there. I also have done work with telemarketers who actually do work on lead gen and um, following up on, on smaller opportunities uh, in, in markets. So I think I like 
having the inside and sometimes book they'll do inside out, but then also having big hunters. I also oversee the customer success team. So I have a whole team that's focused on um, building more within our current customer base. So I think both are important. Yeah. Oh yeah. I couldn't agree more. Can we talk about a little bit about um, your sales process around, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but when you close a deal, what's your strategy or because you're over customer success, how are you guys managing that transition from a one deal to making sure that when you start and you engage with that customer that you're delivering what you promised? So there's a, a mix. And because we have an operational team that does the, the execution of that, our sales team uh, involves ops early in our process so that they know what's coming. Uh, you know, I, because our execution is so critically important, we like to make sure that the ops team is actually making the recommendation rather than the salesperson so that, that there's trust in the fact that we know what we're doing and that the operator can ask questions that the salesperson may or may not be able to address. And so what you have is a consultative approach that allows them, uh, well, us and them to come up with the right solution. Uh, the salesperson might hear, I need this, um, but not know to ask the questions that would say, even though you think you need this, it might actually be something else that you need. And so operators can ask those questions because they've got to execute on it. When they're involved early, that means that the transition is a lot easier because it's aligned between what we can deliver uh, and what the customer needs. So then it's priced right, then it's, um, it's, 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 we have the ability to execute it well, uh, and those things work nicely. And so in fact, we hand off to the ops team and then the ops team um, brings in customer success uh, once we kicked it off so that they know who the ops contact is versus leaning on customer success to solve an ops problem. Right. So right. I love that. That is tremendous. Um, going back to your sales team, um, if you have two candidates for a position that are very comparable experience wise, resume wise, what's going to swing you one way versus the other to select that, that candidate you hire? The person who talks about their strategic plan. In what so, regards? So here's the, the important thing, at least I find in this is that, you know, there are people who work incredibly hard and call on lots of people. Uh, they win more when they have a plan around who they're targeting, um, how many deals, how many calls and how many uh, things they, they need to make. Um, and are thinking through the process. When you've got two people, asking them to put a plan together, 30, 60, 90, generally can tell you who is more strategic. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you that, that my best hire from a salesperson perspective um, is someone who was deeply focused on making tons of calls, deeply tracking how many calls, how many uh, things that they did. And so actually they were bad at presenting and then they got better because they called in more people and learned a lot more. So they were better later. Uh, and so that flies a little bit in the face of what I'm saying, but yet they did have a strategy and a plan. And that's what, like, if you're talking about how to 
think about salespeople. You need people that are persistent, that are fearless, but you also need people who are thinking about it. I tend to sell more enterprise level things. And so when it's that, you need to have people who have a plan and know who their target is, know how they're differentiating or um, segmenting the market uh, and know how to go after uh, your prospects. What do you think the keys are to being a successful sales leader? So I think that a good sales leader understands the sales process first um, in your particular discipline. They understand um, the tools that salespeople need to be successful. They probably have either done the work or are committed to doing the work. When I was uh, in my first gig, I was uh, a player coach, but but really I had a team of folks. And one of the things that I did is take an account and work it from zero to an $8 million close. And I did it because we built a sales process. So I wanted to make sure that the sales process was right. And so I experienced all of the pain of each of the pieces of it, but then could demonstrate to the team uh, how important it is. So if you don't know, you need to go out and actually um, get it because it's easier to, to demonstrate it when you've done it than yeah. not to. And yeah. it, it's not always how leaders come in. Sometimes they come in to just lead, but it's good to, to grab an account or so and go through the process. Yeah. What do you look for uh, in your team to identify those that it's time for them to consider sales leadership? So hitting their stride consistently. Um, I, I don't want to say not being hungry anymore because I think they are, but you do recognize those who just want to sell and those who are ready for more. And sometimes, actually, sometimes they are ready. <laughs> Um, other times they may or may not be, but I think um, it's important to recognize when they've hit those marks, uh, meaning they're outperforming many and money is not their motivator. Right, right. Does that make sense? There are, oh, there yeah. are people who you just want to be out selling because that's all they want to do. Yep. Um, but there are people and you generally see it. You see it because they're kind of hungering for more. Uh, they're giving good advice to folks. People rely on them. And you know when, and I'll, I'll warn, a lot of times they will tell you that they're ready because they're leaving looking not for a higher paying gig, but more responsibility. Right. So uh, I respect that. And I'll say that some are ready for that and others maybe not as much, but I think it's important to think about that. And, and actually more importantly, you should, for your high performers, you should have a, a plan uh, and be talking to them about what their goals are. Mm -hmm. uh, do you remember the deal that you've lost that hurt the most? There were probably two uh, larger ones, multi-million dollar deals. One was uh, because we were working, I was, I've been working in school systems for a long time. We did all of the right work in terms of the first stages of the deal and and stage five for us at the time was the procurement angle. And we did everything right in terms of responding to the bid. Uh, there were some changes in our 
folks. But what happened was a call came into the uh, CEO's uh, assistant, which was a call three months after responding to the bid, asking us to come in for a presentation. That was how it was explained to us, and we tried to figure out what it was, but it was the orals for the bid that we were in, and we didn't know that it was the orals. Um, so we lost a big multi-million dollar five-year deal because we didn't persist in that stage. And so the diligence that we needed to have wasn't there. And, uh, you know, ultimately I'll take responsibility, but now all those things, um, there's a, a better system in place there, but every deal that you're supposed to win, you just have to follow it to the end um, because people's procurement processes can be broken if you're in public sector and it hurts. Uh, going back in and them saying we were supposed to be using your product, but you didn't show up was painful. Oh yeah, painful. So, uh, the um, other one. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just say uh, for experience like that. That's so painful. How have you leveraged that to create a culture of learning around losing? You know, I have always looked at losing from a stage perspective to help people understand where you lost it. Uh, a lot of salespeople have happy years and happy years make them think that it's, it's written for us, it's destined for us. But the reality is that at the different stages, you might think you're winning and you're actually losing. So early in my, my career, certainly we spent a lot of time looking at phases and I would take each salesperson with lost deals and talk about where you are versus where you think you are. And so in hindsight, you can always understand where you lost the deal, but uh, a lot of folks aren't there yet, meaning they're, they're, they're still thinking that, oh, if only the customer had not or, or it's never their fault. But at the end of the day, how you work your stages is how you win. And so when you don't uh, reflect, you don't get better. But I always feel like as a team, as, as, as an individual, you can get better by looking back at the stages and understanding where you lost the deal. Because it's usually in front of your face. And it's usually earlier than you thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about one of my favorite topics, CRM. Do you love it or mm. do you hate it? I think it's a necessary, uh, and I won't call it evil. It's wonderful when it's working right, and it's really about how you set it up. I've worked with three of the big ones. Uh, uh, we currently use probably the biggest one out there right now, and I it was humming until we added another sector to our business and it stopped humming. And now I don't get anything out of it uh, and we're fixing that. But that's about how you set it up and how you execute it. What I think a lot of data folks want is lots of information and that can be the en enemy <laughs> of making it easy for people to put information in. So I think you wanna be cautious about how much you're asking people to do versus making a system that makes it easy for them to uh, use and for us to use to track. So I would say that when it is humming and you're tracking, you can track 
not only uh, how big your pipe is, but then you can look at at uh, at how long it's taking to move from each stage. Uh, so looking at at how many transitions and how long those transitions take. Uh, there's so many things that you can take out of it when it's working for you. So I love it for all of those things, but I will tell you that too many people over-architect systems. Mm -hmm. Is that your biggest struggle, like with CRM today, or or is it different? What what is your biggest struggle with with your current CRM implementation? Yeah, so so it was it was over architected in in the last iteration of changes that were made, and so now we're trying to pull that back. So it goes from being uh, it used to be an easy system to use, but now there's so many requirements in it that it's no longer practical. Uh, and because we had another segment that doesn't even have any of those things, it's just unnecessary. And so pulling back our, our expert uh, to fix those things so that it can be practical again. But I'd say I, I love the data, love the data and love um, some of the other tools uh, that are out there that can not only use your data, but can benchmark you against others yeah. to help inform. So, uh, so yes, I love the ability to use the data. I love the ability to track, and I love uh, a team being able to efficiently um, put things in and to track things for themselves. So I love the power of what it can be, but I think they're often over-architected. So. Yep, yep. Um, when it comes to uh, uh, CRM, what are your keys for success, you know, to really have a, a CRM that's working for you instead of against you? Well, so I do measure kind of what new things are in the pipeline. So I do look at kind of how much activity uh, goes on. I, I do look at, at um, transition from stage to stage because I think it's, it's, it doesn't mean anything that it's in there. It means something if it's moving through, through stages. So I like that. I also like the autopsy side of it, which is to actually understand why we're losing deals and Love the that. ability for everyone, right? To, yeah. to actually look at, at the data and understand why we're losing it. Yeah. And that's, everyone in the company can use that because we can see what we can do better as a marketing team, what we can do better um, as, a, as a finance team, just in terms of, of pricing and an ops team, uh, in terms of what uh, tools and support we provide to our teams. I would say that salespeople are out on an island and we need to fix that, which means that things have to be set up to support them rather than to uh, make their, their lives uh, less easy. User adoption uh, among a sales team is, you, it, it can be difficult in certain organizations. Um, my advice to people when, they, when uh, we're talking about that, I, I'll ask the question, when you're talking to your salespeople, you're giving them a reason why to use CRM. What is your why when you talk to the sales team? I honestly think it's the tracking mechanism. It is a follow-up. It is a tracking, like keeping all this stuff in your head and a string of emails doesn't work. It's not as effective. You've got too many things going on. I think it's easier when it's all in one place. And the way that, uh, the way that the systems are now, it's all integrated. So you can actually do your work in CRM and it'll be in a CRM and it, it'll follow you. 
uh, and prompts you and reminds you. But if you're working your pipe right, there's a lot out there. And so you've got, I always say you've got 30 deals that you're probably kind of paying attention to heavily. You've got five that you're trying to close and 10 that you're trying to move into the, the, the five stage. So with all that going on, you want prompts to remind you to call this person to do that. You want to be able to push out information to lots of people that you've talked to over time. All of those things are better if you've got a CRM system that is in place uh, and you're leaning on it, which you should be if you're running your sales game the right way. I agree. I agree. Um, we're coming up on our time here on this episode of Sales Lead Dog. I really appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for that to happen? Sure. I'd say LinkedIn is the easy way. Um, if you if you connect with me on LinkedIn and say, hey, uh, heard you, saw you, uh, would love to catch up, just hit me there. Um, my email and my phone number are there. I'm a sales guy, which means that if you call me and it's not a productive call, I, I know we can we can end politely. I'm not, <laughs> but, but if, so, You're not sticking but around for a three-hour meal. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for people who just want to reach out and, and chat, I'm happy to do that. And, and I'm happy to schedule uh, time. So I have no issues with that at all. Yeah. And obviously, if they want to learn more about your company, please do. Um, Yes, absolutely. There's a, there, there's a link to, to the, the website and easy ways to, to catch up. Yep. So All that'll love, be in the show love. notes. So great. Yeah, click away. Uh, like, thanks again for coming on, Alvin. It's been great talking with you. Chris, this, is, this has been a lot of fun. So thank you for, for, for having me on. And thank you for doing what you do. It's, it's pretty cool. Awesome. Thank you. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.